I've mentioned to you on several occasions my friend, Dr. Desta Langana Letta, who leads the organization AIPM that we partner with in our mission efforts in Ethiopia. He also came to our church last summer. You may remember him giving testimony in one of our Sunday morning services. Pastor Aaron and I got to spend a great deal of time with Desta on our trip to Ethiopia earlier this year. And every time I'm around Desta, I always leave amazed by how much he's engaged in, how much ministry he has his hand in. He eats, drinks, and sleeps when he sleeps gospel ministry. He's actively involved in evangelism, missionary and pastor training, church planning, denominational work. Not to mention, he's trying right now to build two buildings in a very difficult economy in Ethiopia. And he's dreaming about more things that he can do with his life for the glory of God. But what's perhaps even more surprising than the sheer amount of work that one man is able to engage in effectively is the way that people want to join him in the work that he is doing. People are drawn to Desta. God brings people to him, and not just those who are called into ministry, tribal leaders, government officials, even the prime minister knows who Desta is. And he is using all these strategic key relationships for the sake of the kingdom. Now, why is it that people are drawn to Desta? Now, I love Desta. I think he's a wonderful, funny human being. But I actually don't think the reason that people are drawn to him has anything to do with him. I think the reason that people are drawn to Desta is because God is evidently with him. It's clear, if you spend any time with Desta, that he walks with God. And it is God who has allowed the work that Desta has touched to flourish for his glory. And people are drawn to Desta for that purpose, for for God to be able to accomplish his glorious ends. It is incredible the favor that God has given to Desta. The prime minister not only knows who Desta is, the prime minister gave Desta and AIPM a mountain, a literal mountain in Ethiopia for people to gather on and worship King Jesus. And they're going to put the tallest cross in Africa on this mountain as a statement, a claim for the glory of God. It's incredible. But it should also be noted that the favor that God has given to Desta has not always been well received. In fact, when the communists made way into Ethiopia in the 1970s and their government was overthrown, the fact that Desta walked with God became a threat. It was a threat to this communist government. And as a result, Desta was beaten. He received over 300 lashes for his commitment to Christ and he was put in prison. But he remained faithful and never wavered in his commitment to Christ. And as a result, the Lord used that time, even that difficult time, to refine Desta and to position him for the work that he is doing today, to lead the gospel charge in Ethiopia and the surrounding areas there in Africa. Now, I mentioned Desta to you because his story reminds me a lot of the story of Joseph. In fact, as I was reading Genesis 39 this week, I couldn't get over 
the comparisons between the story we have written here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the story I've witnessed firsthand in Desta's life. In Genesis 39, it is explicitly stated that God is with Joseph. It's been suggested previously, the fact that he had dreams suggested to us that God was working with Joseph, but now it's explicit. And the author wants us to know this because if you were just looking at Joseph's story through human eyes, it could look like that God wasn't anywhere near him. It could look like if if we were just looking with fleshly eyes that Joseph was alone, but he's not. God is with him. And God is using everything that happens to Joseph to prepare him and position him for a greater purpose. Friends, we should be encouraged by the promise that God is with us, even in our most difficult moments. God's presence should always be an encouragement. But we also need to see this morning through the story of Joseph is that there are those threatened by the reality that God is with us. And they will act on that threat. That The fact that God was with Joseph made him a target. I hope you know that we have an enemy who is on the prowl seeking to steal, kill, and destroy those who desire to walk with God in order to stall the movement of God, in order to foolishly try to thwart God's will because our enemy, Satan, doesn't want his head to be crushed. But we also know that God's purposes will always prevail. And the lesson, the call this morning is to be on guard for this attack in order to remain useful, faithful for the kingdom of God. God is with us. That's certainly an encouragement, but it is also a threat. Here's our main point today from Joseph's story. When God is with you, it's noticeable. It's noticeable. It's noticeable to those who want to walk with God. It's noticeable to those who are seeking God. And it is noticeable to those who who oppose God, who want to stop the plan of God. And we must be on guard to walk in faithfulness, to walk in usefulness. It's true in the life of Desta. It's true in the life of Joseph. It's certainly true in the life of Jesus. And our prayer this morning is that it would be true of us that we would be ready and prepared to be useful for God. In Genesis 39, the setting of Joseph's story moves to Egypt because that's where the Ishmaelites brought Joseph after they bought him from his brothers, and they sell him to a guy named Potiphar. He's an Egyptian, according to verse 1 of chapter 39, and he was also an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, in fact. And as Joseph serves Potiphar, Potiphar takes notice of Joseph. That's the first part in this section of Joseph's story that we want to look at today. Potiphar takes notice of Joseph because the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord brings blessing to Joseph and Potiphar sees that. Look at verses 2 to 6 of Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord caused all that Joseph did 
to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and attended him. And he made him an overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Joseph had favor in God's sight that led to favor in Pharaoh's sight. Everything that was given to Joseph, everything that he touched flourished. And because of that, Joseph is given more and more and more in Potiphar's household to the point where he becomes the overseer of the whole house. He's second in command. And the text makes it abundantly clear. God wants us to know that all of this is happening by God's hand. It's not Joseph in and of himself. It's God's presence with Joseph that is making this happen. Verse 5 says, The Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. God is working here to prepare and position Joseph. God is the one who makes him successful. And Potiphar takes notice. Potiphar is not the only one who notices Joseph. Because as the story continues we see Potiphar's wife taking notice of Joseph. And this is a very different kind of noticing. It's a noticing that that clearly has Joseph's destruction in mind rather than his good. Look at the second part of our text in verses 16 to 18. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. She noticed him and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, Day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or be with her. But one day, he went into his house and to do his work, none of the men of the house were in the house. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled, got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, that he fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household. And he said, see, Potiphar, my husband, has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us, to make us a laughingstock. He came in to lie with me. I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled. He got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master, her master, came home. And she told him the same story, saying, This Hebrew servant that you brought among us, It's your fault. He came into me to make me a laughingstock. And as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left. And he left his garment beside me and he fled out of the house. Not only is Joseph successful, he's really, really handsome. Because some guys have all the luck, right? In fact, the words that are used here, handsome in form and appearance, are the same words that are used to describe Joseph's mom, Rachel, in, verses, in chapter 29, verse 17. 
it seems like he got his looks from his mom. And like Eve, with the fruit of the tree in the garden, Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph and wants him for herself, regardless of the consequence. And notice here how Potiphar's wife pursues Joseph. Our text spends a great deal of time outlining her pursuit, I think, to prepare us for how our enemy pursues us, to disqualify us from service in the kingdom. Three ways Potiphar's wife pursues Joseph. She pursues him boldly, she pursues him repeatedly, and she pursues him strategically. She pursues him boldly. In verse 7, we see her directly approach Joseph and make her desires explicitly clear. She says to him, I want you to lie with me. That's bold. There's no clouded or veiled language here. She is saying exactly what she wants. And she says it over and over and over again because she also pursues him repeatedly. We see this in verse 10. This wasn't a one-time thing. The Bible says she spoke to Joseph, propositioned him day after day after day. It's clear that Potiphar's wife was used to getting whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted. And Joseph's resistance to him made him more, to her, made him more desirable. And eventually, she sets a trap for him because she pursues him strategically. What would Joseph do if no one was looking? What if everybody was gone? Would he respond the exact same way. Maybe if, if no one knew, he would answer differently. And so in verse 11, she approaches Joseph when all the men are out of the house, either by coincidence or by her direction, to set her trap. But how does Joseph respond? How does Joseph respond to Potiphar's wife's pursuit? He resists. He refuses to fall victim to temptation. He refuses to fall victim to the enemy's trap because this wasn't just about one woman's desires. There was something greater going on. Remember, Joseph's story is part of a greater, larger story. This was an assault on the sovereign plan of God. And while Joseph may not know everything that's at play, he knows enough and he resists. And here's why. The Bible makes it explicitly clear why Joseph resists the pursuit of this woman. Look at verses 8 to 9. He refused her and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? How can I sin against God? I can't do this because it would break the trust of my master. And he's given me a lot. He's, he's shown me a lot of favor. In fact, he's given me everything in his household except for you. It's almost as if Potiphar had a specific conversation with Joseph. Maybe he knew something about his wife to say, you can have everything in my house except her. And Joseph hears those words and he heeds them. I can't do this because it would break the trust of my master. I can't do this because also you're his wife. Even if I wasn't serving Potiphar 
It is morally wrong for me to engage in this conduct. And above everything, I can't do this because it would be unfaithful to Potiphar, but more importantly, it would be unfaithful to my God. Joseph's character, his integrity, his commitment to walking with God would not allow him to walk down this road. He valued being with God more than he valued being with this woman. And so Joseph refuses boldly. She pursues him boldly, but he refuses boldly. He was very clear. Even though I'm sure there was temptation here, Joseph was single and she was powerful. And yet, despite the temptation, he tells her plainly that he will not do what she is asking. He doesn't play around. He doesn't flirt to to make it to his advantage. He says no. And he says no over and over again because he refuses repeatedly. As she pursues him repeatedly, he refuses. He makes it clear this is not going to happen. And he's able to do this because he refuses strategically. And this is important because I think the reason that Joseph was able, to be, was able to remain faithful in the heat of the moment is because he had already answered the question before it was ever asked. His commitment was to the Lord. His life was not meant for his pleasure or her pleasure. His life was meant for the pleasure of God. And he was going to remain committed to that end. Joseph is faithful. And he receives his reward. That's the third part of our story this morning. And what is Joseph's reward for his faithfulness, his steadfastness, his integrity? What does Joseph get? Prison. What an encouraging message this morning. Is that right? He he stands up to temptation. He remains faithful to God and he gets prison for it. That's what happens. Look at verses 19 to 20. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him, put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. So Potiphar's wife concocts a story, and it's a story that's eerily similar to the story that Joseph's brothers tell in Genesis 37. She takes the garment of Joseph and presents it to the head of the household to try to get rid of Joseph. She says to him, hey, this is the evidence. He tried to take advantage of me. You brought him in here. You got to get him out. And so he does. But I want us to see here that even in the reaction that Potiphar has to Joseph, the favor of God is still on him. God is still with Joseph because Potiphar could have killed Joseph immediately. He could have just told his other servants, hey, take him out back, kill him, if if what he said and what he did is true. But he doesn't. He puts him in prison. And he could have put put him in any prison. He could have put him in a prison for slaves, but he doesn't. He puts him in the best prison. Now, I know that's not saying much, but it's the best prison. It's the prison for political prisoners, for the king's prisoners. You see, even in this moment, Potiphar 
is still looking on Joseph with some favor because God is with him. Yes, his anger burns, but it doesn't seem like that anger is fully directed at Joseph. And as a result of that, God strategically positions Joseph, even if Joseph, even if we may not see it yet. God is not finished with him. God is with him. And there's blessing there, even if there's threat. Now, how does this story, this incredible, powerful story, how does it speak to our story? Because remember, as we walk through Joseph's story, we're looking at it at levels. We want to see Joseph's story in its original context as it's presented in that original moment. But we also want to see how it directly speaks to our story today and then more importantly, the story of Christ. So let's, let's step up a layer here in our study of Genesis 39. How does what takes place here in the scripture speak to our story as the people of God today? Well, listen, as the church, I hope you know that we are set apart by the presence of God. God is with us because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And he is Emmanuel, God with us. Now here's the question I want to ask of us today and I want us to wrestle with. Does it look like God is with us? Is it noticeable that God is with us, both individually and as a people. Listen, are we walking with God in such a way that, that those who are seeking God are drawn to us and those who are trying to oppose God are threatened by us? Church, I hope, I hope that we are the kind of people who are a light on a hill to those who want to know more of God. I hope that when people come into this room, when people come into our church, they see a true kingdom outpost, a people committed to living under the rule and reign of God, and that we point them to the, the glorious work of God in Christ. I hope that we are a refuge, a well for people who are thirsting for the living water that can only be found in Christ. Wouldn't that be a great prayer for us to pray over our church? I also hope the enemy's concerned about us. There's probably a lot of churches in America, a lot of churches in the world that the enemy doesn't lose any sleep over. I don't want to be a part of that kind of church. I hope you don't either. I want to be the, the kind of church that makes the enemy's knees weak because we are so committed to the work of God, because we are so committed to walking in the power of God for his glory. We are so committed to advancing the kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel. Is it true of us, individually, collectively? And if so, are we ready for the attack of the enemy? Because if we are a threat, he will notice. And he will come after us boldly, repeatedly, strategically as individuals and as a church. 1 Peter 5, 8, we have an enemy who is prowling around like a lion and he is seeking someone to destroy. He will bring temptation your way to try to bring you down and affect your witness 
for the kingdom. And listen, you may not be a Joseph. You may not be so attractive that you are literally irresistible to people around you. If you are, (laughs) blessings to you. (laughs) But that's not the fate for most of us. But there is probably a weakness. There is probably a temptation or a, a place of temptation somewhere in your life that the enemy will try to capitalize upon in order to bring you down. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? You probably know in your mind how you identify here with Joseph. It may be lust. That's clearly an application from our text today. That may be the place where the enemy comes after you. But it may be something else. It may be materialism. It may be your tongue. It may be your identity that the enemy uses to try to to get a foothold in your life. And he comes after you boldly, repeatedly, strategically. Are you prepared so that in that moment you can flee from sin and run toward God. We must be prepared as a people. And the Bible tells us how. It doesn't leave us empty-handed. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, where the Bible calls us to put on the armor of God. The armor of God. Paul writes to the Ephesian church and to us today, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, finally, be strong. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, not your own might, his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, against the attack of the devil boldly, repeatedly, strategically. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil, this evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Every day, church, we should seek to wake up and be ready in the power of God to be used by God and resist the schemes of the enemy. Every day, because we know our weakness, because we know we're not 
perfect, yet we need to be refreshed in the truth of God so that we can tell the difference between the lie of the enemy and the truth of God's declared word. We need to hold our hearts in the righteousness of God, asking God to make our desires align with him above everything else, to make our lives committed to pleasing God above everyone else. We are called to walk in the gospel of peace, to make our lives about the advancement of the gospel. We are to stand firm in the faith given to us by God, holding fast to our salvation in Christ and his faithful revelation to us. We are to pray in the Spirit, asking him to empower us to walk forward for the glory of God. Do you believe that God has given us everything we need to walk in faithfulness? Do you believe that God has given us everything we need to stand victorious over our enemy? You bet he has. We just have to take advantage of it. We have to step into the promise and the provision of the fact that God is with us. And remember, Joseph isn't even our greatest example here. Jesus is. You know, God was clearly with Jesus, uniquely with Jesus. And people were drawn to him. People that that wanted to know more about God and those who were opposed to God. And the enemy just didn't send a person to tempt Jesus. He came himself. Satan tempted our king. Do you remember this in Matthew 4? From our study in Matthew's gospel, Satan tempts Jesus by trying to get him to abandon God's redemptive plan, to choose another path to power and glory. He does this boldly, repeatedly, and strategically. But Jesus resists in the power of the Spirit. He battles in the armor of God. He resists by speaking God's word, the truth of God's word to the lies of the enemy. And his faithfulness sets the stage for his ministry and our salvation. His victory over the enemy secures our victory. Church, you can walk in victory over sin in Jesus. And some of you may be feeling the weight of this call to walk in faithfulness. But listen, God has not abandoned you to do this on your own. He has given you victory in Christ. And that's why we can heed the command of Romans. Chapter 6, one of my favorite verses or passages in all of Scripture. As it begins, there's this conversation over the grace of God. And some people in the Roman church, or maybe by Paul thinking rhetorically through what questions they may ask, ask this question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? As as Paul declares the glory, the, the infinite reach of the grace of God, someone has said something like this. Well, listen, Paul, if we want people to really understand the reach of God's grace, shouldn't we do big sins? Like, do really big sins? to show that God's really big grace can cover even really big sins? And how does Paul answer? No, absolutely not. Because you shouldn't desire sin in any way. Because you are no longer a slave of sin. You are now an instrument 
of righteousness. Don't present your, your members to sin as an instrument for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God. And he offers this command in verse 12. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. A command. Do not let sin reign in your body. And that command is the fruit of what's possible in Christ. Some of you may think, Jared, you just don't know the temptation that I'm under. You don't know the struggle I'm in. First of all, it's not greater than what Christ endured. And he came out victorious on the other side. And secondly, hear me, if you are in Christ, the victory that Christ secures allows you to walk in freedom and victory over any sin. Any sin. You do not have to stay marred. You don't have to stay in bondage. Christ has released you from that. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. The temptation is too great. Or just indulge in it. God will forgive you on the other side. No. That will lead you to being ineffective. Ineffective. It will, it will threaten your witness for the kingdom. Now, we're not all going to be perfect, but we should strive in God's power and provision in Christ to be more and more faithful for his glory. It's true in Joseph's life. It's provided for us in Jesus' life, who was perfect. And now in the spirit, as we grow in Christ's likeness, we should pursue be pursuing greater faithfulness, greater usefulness for the glory of God. Listen, if we are in Christ, God is with us. That's the promise at the end of Matthew's gospel. Go, make disciples in this great commission. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm not asking you to do this on your own, though, because I am with you to the end of the age. Hear me. The, the call to make disciples, the call to walk in Christ's likeness, it's not something we can do or are expected to do in our own strength. We, we can do what God has called us to because God is with us. And that promise also carries with it a reality. That as we seek to glorify God by making disciples locally and globally for his glory, there is an enemy who wants to stop us. And he will come after us individually, collectively, to try to remove our ability to do what God has called us to do. We have to be prepared, on alert. These powers and principalities, they're coming after us, but we also know they will be defeated. So let's, church, walk in victory. If God is with us, it should be noticeable. It should be noticeable. Oh, that God would bear fruits from this people who seek to walk with God. And that God would give favor to our church to do the work of ministry that he's called us to. But may we also be prepared that in the presence of God here at this place, there's an enemy who wants to destroy us. See the testimonies throughout history around the world even today, of pastors, of churches, losing their witness because of compromise, because of sin. 
oh, that would not be true of Bayleaf. May we, in a pit, in Potiphar's house, or prison, remain faithful. Not through our own strength, but through the strength of God who is with us. Now, how can we respond this morning to the preached word here? In just a minute, we're gonna have the Lord's Supper, but let me just offer some some questions to help you navigate maybe how the Spirit is leading you to respond this morning to show spiritual fruit in your life because of our time before the word this morning. Firstly, let me ask you the question, is God with you? Are, Are you with God? Is God with you? And the only way you can be with God is through Christ. That's the story of Scripture, of which this story is a part. God created us for fellowship with him. We rebelled against him and that fellowship was broken. And that broken fellowship will last for an eternity if not for Christ. That's the only way that we can be restored to right relationship with God, our creator, our father. We can't work our way back. We can't move our way up. Only Christ coming to us can cover the gap and he did. He did Have you come under his sacrifice? Have you given your life to him to be restored to right relationship with God? Just a minute. We'll have an opportunity for you to respond. The Spirit's leading you that way to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead to be saved, to be restored. To live a life where God is with you to have an eternity where God is with you. That would certainly be an appropriate, God-glorifying way to respond to our text today. Is God with you? I hope it's yes. If not, let the day be the day of your salvation. And if we are in Christ, is it clear that we are with Christ? Is it clear to your coworkers Is it clear to your neighbors? Is it clear to your classmates? Is it clear to your family that God is with you and that you walk with God? Are we a light to those who love God? And are we a threat to those who oppose God? As a result of that, are finally, are you prepared to resist the work of the enemy in order to remain faithful to the work of God. Listen, there are countless testimonies in this room, mine included, of times spent in bondage to sin. I think every one of us would say that the freedom that we experience in Christ is greater than any momentary pleasure that we had in sin. Hear the warning today. Hear the call today. Closeness with God, walking with God, pleasure in God is infinitely better than any pleasure you can find in this world. It's fleeting. It doesn't deliver what it promises. And it seeks your destruction. That's far different than what we find in Christ. Eternal pleasure 
forevermore that delivers more than it promises. And it can never be taken away. And seeks are good. This morning, again, I don't know what struggle you have or the place in your life where the enemy may be coming after you, but would you commit to doing what Joseph did in order to honor the Lord? Would you flee from sin and run toward God? Maybe you need to spend some time in repentance this morning because you've not struggled well. You've not even really been fighting against the sin and the power of the Spirit. Would you trust the promise of 2 Peter 1.3 that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And his divine power is greater than any power that can come against you in this life. It's greater than any desire that you may face in a moment. And that's been displayed in the resurrection of Jesus. Would you embrace and walk in that power today for the glory of God. Answer the question of sin strategically today. That you want your life to be about pleasing God more than pleasing man, more than pleasing yourself. And whatever temptation comes your way, you're gonna choose to honor God. And even in those moments where we do fall short, remember, the grace of God is big enough to cover it. But dust yourself off, get up, and walk forward in faithfulness for the glory of God. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time reflecting, thinking about how you can respond today. This powerful word from Scripture. Again, our first response today is going to be partaking of the supper. And I want us to partake it this morning with a, an eye toward the victory it represents for us. Jesus came and lived the perfect, sinless life. And he took our place on the cross, taking on God's wrath and judgment, taking on the grave and death, so that through him, and his resurrection, we could find victory. So as we consider this morning the body of Christ broken, the blood of Christ shed, would you ask yourself the question, am I living in the victory that Christ has secured for me? If not, would you repent right now? of whatever it is, whatever place the enemy has gotten a foothold? And would you ask the Lord's help to be strengthened in his strength and walk in faithfulness? And if today you are walking in victory, would you give thanks to God? Because it's only in Christ that you're able to walk in victory through his body, his blood, his resurrection. Father, we want to give honest testimony 
and witness in this act of remembrance. As we think about the salvation you have provided for us, the freedom from bondage that you have provided for us in Christ. Help us to claim that victory today in Jesus. Help us to celebrate that victory today in Jesus as we partake of the supper. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.